0: Oki, okay. hello there and welcome to the Fox Den. Nistu anagok biksitpidaki. I am Andrea TrueJoy Fox, your host for Talks with a Fox. I'm happy you have joined me on this colorful adventure of self-discovery and lifelong learning. Throughout my journey, I have met some amazing human beings who are living inspirational and intentional lives as they fulfill their purpose and share their gifts with the world. I am excited to share these conversations with you, as well as some stories from my life as a Blackfoot woman, Nitsita and as a teacher and artist who is navigating through this exciting and beautiful world we live in, challenges and all. So grab a tea or coffee, and get ready to feel inspired as you reflect on your own exciting journey and your connection to the world. We are in this together and there is so much for us to learn and share. Let's do this. I just want to thank you for following this wonderful journey and for connecting with Talks with a Fox on all of our social media and liking and commenting on our page. We appreciate all the inquiries that we have received regarding how you can further support Talks with a Fox podcast. So we have gone ahead and set up a Patreon account where you can subscribe and support the podcast feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash Talks with a Fox podcast. There's also a link to the Patreon page on our Buzzsprout page, where you can donate the amount of your choosing. It means so much to me that you are on this journey with us. Okay. I have a very lovely guest here who I am just so excited to talk with and share these wonderful and powerful and very important stories she is putting out in the world that are especially pertinent to Indigenous issues and more, more locally in Canada that are happening to our people and I just can't wait for her to share with us what she has discovered and how she is making a difference in the world of journalism. I want to welcome Brandy Morin, who is an award-winning French, Cree, Iroquois journalist from Treaty 6, Alberta, Canada. And Brandy, for the last 10 years, has specialized in sharing Indigenous stories, some of which have helped spark change and reconciliation in Canada's political, cultural, and social environments. Oki okay, tanze, Brandy!
1: Tansay, hi. Thank you so much uh, for having me, Andrea.
0: Yes, welcome. And thank you for uh, sharing a slice of your time with us because I know you are just out there always keeping up with the know of what's going on across the country and in Mm -hmm. our community. So welcome. And um, I can't wait to talk about everything that you do. (laughs)
1: Yes. It's such a privilege and an honor. I'm grateful to be here. I'm so excited about what you're doing, um, you know, with your podcast. So, um, hi, hi. Um, so, so happy to talk to you.
0: Okay. So thank you for that, by the way. Thank you for those kind words. And, um, yeah, I'm just I'm super itching here to get into some of these uh very big stories you you were covering most recently and and even previously. But before we get to that, um can you just tell us tell us about yourself? Like you you are from Treaty 6 and you've got uh several cultures that you're part of. Um where did it all begin for you, Brandy? Where did you grow up and you know, you're part of uh, the French, Korean, Iroquois histories. Yes.
1: So, wow. <laughs> That's 40 years ago now. <laughs> I just No way. Yes, <laughs> I just turned 40 in June. Um, but, yeah, I grew up in around uh, just west of Edmonton, um, in and around a small little place, a small little town called Stony Plain. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to really connect with uh, my indigenous culture in a positive way uh until um later on in my life so uh growing up i just was exposed to a lot of the you know family dysfunction and uh you know different um traumas uh that uh indigenous, you know, peoples often, you know, face and grow up with. So for me, um, from the age of six until my early teenage years, I um, was in and out of the foster care system. So uh, I would uh, go back and forth between foster homes or group homes and with my family. It was a pretty uh, tough and rough up upbringing. <laughs> um, but I managed to, uh, you know, battle my way through a lot of adversity. Uh, I did end up becoming a single mother at 18 years old. And by the time I was 24 years old, I was a single mother of three. Um, again, I, you know, um, overcame a lot of different obstacles to, you know, um, Create a path in my career now as a journalist, and i'm now a mother of four five children, four of which are living so um how I really got connected with my culture as a you know a mixed woman was I was very always very close with my cookku my grandmother, uh, on my mother's side. So a lot of times when, um, things were bad at home, I would live with my cookum a lot when I wasn't, uh, you know, foster care, you know, setting. And, um, we just, we were really close. And, um, my cookum was a residential school survivor. She also overcame a lot of different adversities. Um, she had a lot of different struggles. She struggled with, you know, alcoholism and, um, you know, abusive relationships and things like that. So um I was exposed to um a lot of dark things about who we were and uh a loss of connection, you know, to our uh indigenous blood. Um the connections that we seem to have from it were just a result of so many different, you know, colonial Connections and traumas. I mean, I had basic understandings of, you know, certain cultural, uh, you know, uh, minimal cultural, uh, aspects like, you know, you know, Cookum made Bannock and she spoke a little bit of Cree here and there and that kind of thing. With my Cookum, um, she passed away in 2018 and, uh, she passed away of cancer and, it wasn't until around that time that I started um, getting, you know, reconnected uh, to who I was as a Métis woman, like really delving into what that was and what that meant. And I just began a journey of um, uh, seeking that out and um, uh, went on this uh, this path of discovery in different ways and really, um, fell, fell in love with everything, you know, that, that, that means. <laughs> so that's a little bit about, of, um, you know, where I come from and, and, uh, just a little bit about how I, am. Um, you know, the gist of what started me into my career.
0: Mhm, well, it's beautiful that you had that time with your grandmother, and um our grandmothers have so much beauty and strength in them that you know for those of us that are blessed to have time with them, it's really a gift and and now you're taking those teachings with you wherever you go in the world and as a mother yourself and how you're raising your children um, I think that's really so powerful. And, and I, I'm happy to hear that you had that connection to her, um, in your, as you were growing up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. So tell me, I'm curious, how did getting into journalism, you know, through this, um, your journey where, where you were with growing up and, mm-hmm. uh, experiences that you've had, um, and stories you've collected along the way, how did, how did your pathway connect to telling stories of others?
1: Yeah. So journalism for me, um, kind of served as an outlet of, um, of hope and an outlet of stability for me because, um, you know, I was a a single mother and struggling on many different levels, um, And that dream of writing, that dream of storytelling um, always helped to keep me focused that there would be something um, better. Um, So when I was actually 21, at that time, I had my two oldest children. They were aged one and two. And I moved out to a small town in southern Manitoba for a bit. Um I was actually dating my friend's um husband's friend. So she had married a man uh, and I met um his best friend at their wedding <laughs> and started dating him. Um you know, 21 young and love-struck, you know <laughs> how that can go. So uh I moved out there with my two two little kids. And well, my friend was living out there too, but I was pretty far from home at the time. Um, while I was there, I just really, I, I, I got this urge to write. I had always enjoyed writing. I'd always journaled, um, you know, growing up. And uh, one day I went to the office of the local newspaper there. It was a small community newspaper called the Red River Valley Echo. And I asked to meet with the editor she was a nice older lady. I introduced myself. I said, I'd like to write. And she took me in under her wing and gave me an opportunity to write, uh, small community stories. And I was just like, um, thriving. I just like felt in that moment that, you know, that was what I was supposed to be doing. I I absolutely loved it. Um, it, it helped give me a sense of purpose and a sense of worth, um, in in so much and, and to, um, meet the people that I was doing or that I was meeting. And, um, I loved it, but, um, I ended up moving back to Alberta when I broke up with that man, (laughs) moved back with my kids, um, about a year later. And I did not do any writing again for a number of years because at that time the money in the kind of work that I was doing wasn't the greatest and I needed to make a living for my kids and me. So I actually went to college and I became a legal assistant and I became a legal assistant because a friend of mine was a legal assistant and I really admired and looked up to her. So I thought, well, she's doing that Maybe I'll do it too, and maybe I'll be good at it, <laughs> so I did do it, and mm-hmm. I didn't like it too much. <laughs> it just wasn't for me, but I mean, I learned a lot um in the time that I was a legal assistant. I worked for years in and out of different office environments uh but again, I was not happy I didn't feel fulfilled doing that so When I was 29, I was doing a lot of soul searching. I was, um, you know, reading uh, different books about, you know, life purpose and doing a lot of praying and seeking about what I was supposed to do because I was in a place of feeling completely lost. And by that time, I was a single mother of three kids. Um, You know, my oldest was 10. So I had a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old And a five-year-old at that time. And I, one day, you know, I was praying and I got this idea to put a portfolio of some of my work together and my resume and to take it to Spruce Grove, which is next to the town that I live in of Stony Plain and present it to the editor And when I got this thought, it seemed to come out of nowhere. I believe it was from creator. Uh And and it just like, it scared me because at the time I, uh, it intimidated me the thought of working for my home community newspaper, because it was like a distribution of 50,000 and it was my home community with people I grew up with. And it was like this huge deal. And I was just like, I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel good enough like that I could do that. And at the same time, I was just like imagining how incredible that would be if I could do that and have that opportunity. Yeah. So I got brave <laughs> and I think about a week later or so I uh, put together, printed off some of my you know articles that I had written and my resume and um, got dressed up and went to the um, office in spruce grove to the stony Plain reporter spruce grove examiner i again i asked if the editor was available so they brought the editor out front his name's carson and we went into a meeting room and i just bravely introduced myself even though i was shaking in my boots and i was really wearing boots i was wearing knee-high sparkle cowgirl boots i mean they were fashionable <laughs> no, seriously they were fashionable but they must have thought i was like pretty wild <laughs> I love it. (laughs) But I introduced myself to him and showed him my work and told him, you know, that I was passionate about writing. And I just said, do you happen to have any opportunities open? He goes, well, your timing is impeccable because we're looking to hire a full-time reporter right now. And like something like that doesn't come up too often in these small communities. So I was just blown away and I was just like, wow, I feel like I'm meant to be here. And so I had to go through the application process. And I, um, um, uh, two weeks later I was hired and on the job. And so I did that for two years working in my local community. And again, absolutely loved it. I got exposed to so many different areas, so many different beats. I, you know, reported a little bit in politics and in entertainment and, you know, um, you know, personal community stories. And I just loved it. Um, About a year into that, I um, noticed the discrepancies between um, the indigenous communities and mainstream media and how indigenous stories were being reported and portrayed. And it bothered me because there was so many stereotypes, so many negativities and harmful things, um, that were being, um, circulated. And I just knew that there was more. And, um, I approached my editor and I said, you know, I have, you know, I, I want to do something about this. And I, and I said, "Can I start read, writing about our nearby communities? Because we have some First Nation reserves and different things." I said, "I want to start to go out and create relationships, and I want to write, uh, go right into the communities and write, write about you know their culture, their people, their traditions." I didn't know what to expect because I live in a really like white community, and he went for it, and he was like really supportive and really grateful. So we named this weekly feature called Aboriginal Aspects. And, um, it was a daily or sorry, a weekly feature. And, um, I, you know, met with elders or, you know, people that were doing really cool things or, um, just, um, interesting human type stories. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, that helped to ignite a passion and a fire for more of that. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to be doing full time, I just couldn't get enough. Um, I just had this hunger. But um, a little while later, I'd say maybe eight months later or so, Carson ended up leaving as editor and he went on to a different job. And there were some more changes that happened um, there at that newspaper. And within a couple of months, there was a new editor, a new publisher, new staff, and they cut my Aboriginal Aspects feature there had been previously, we, we dealt with a couple few people that called in threatening to boycott the paper, complaining about the, um, the feature, you know, the typical racist, um, you know, viewpoints and all that kind of stuff. But Carson, you know, he stood by that and we, we kept it going. So when these new people came in, they decided that it wasn't, interesting anymore and they didn't need it within a couple of weeks of that I was actually um called into the publisher's office out of nowhere and she said you know what we're looking for 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 different things now and they let me go and I was just like completely devastated and completely shocked and I didn't um really understand you know what had happened or what I did wrong um and it was really heavy on me for a while and I always wondered if it was connected to um, my work that I was doing right to try to build bridges and reconciliation, you know, with our communities. And maybe it, it, you know, at the time they didn't want that, the new people that came in didn't want it. So, but it ended up turning out to be a blessing because just a few months later, I got a new opportunity to, uh, work with APTN. And from there, everything kind of just like exploded to where I'm at now. So, (laughs) Well, I, first of all, I, it was definitely
0: their loss, but more importantly, yes, like you said, look at where you are now and you're having the freedom to direct your own journalist journey, um, write without censorship. Um, and I just, I want to go back to where you talked about how, um, you know, you approach these, these, um, places, these, um, newspapers and these different media sources, I think that is so incredible. You know, you, you took your, you created your own opportunity opportunities Mm -hmm. rather than wait for someone to notice, take notice of your writing. And, you know, you just did a wonderful job of getting in control of your own, starting your own journalist journey. And I think that's amazing, Brandy, because we need to do more of that rather than, you know, wait and hope somebody knows about us or discovers our talents and gifts. But I think that's amazing. very telling about who you are as a woman
1: (laughs) thank you but you know I also like was in survival mode because I struggled as a single parent I struggled raising them I was alone and I didn't always have the best examples growing up and um I had my family around yes because we you know we've reconciled um you know to help but there were times when I didn't have an income there were times when I several times when I accessed the food bank When you're under that kind of like survival mode, you're stressed mentally and emotionally and spiritually and physically. And so for me, holding on to that dream of something better, something more was like a lifesaver. And so I went after that because um, I could have been a statistic like so many others. I could have been a statistic of a missing or murdered woman with the way that I grew up. I could have been a statistic of a, a woman struggling with addictions. I could have been a statistic of a woman who gave up on her dreams because life, you know, the life, the storms of life um, tried to take her down. And that just wasn't an option for me. And I just kept um, fighting, you know, fighting for that. And it was it was just like a a light that I always um, looked to as an outlet of a, of a way to give myself and my children and others hope. So I'm just so grateful because I know some people in this life are lost and I've been lost like you wouldn't believe before, but, um, it's one thing to be lost, but it's another thing to be lost and not know where you're going or have an idea of what your purpose is. And I, you know, had a vision and i had that to look forward to and i'm so thankful because i just would have felt completely hopeless um and i don't know where i'd be right now
0: wow yes i mean that is that is true true living true resilience and you know as indigenous women we we have that is our survival is that resilience and the storms of life. I love how you. I love how you articulated that. That's that's a really mm. beautiful and powerful way to look at it. When, you know, life is taking us through a storm, but, you know, also in your resilience, that outlook and that hope. Having that hope and not dis- despairing. Mm. Um, and you, you know, you've been raising such beautiful, strong children, and you know you're giving them those tools of resilience, and also to thrive, you know, yeah. to move beyond surviving, but thriving. And our people, you know, as we continue to share our stories, we we, we are shifting more into thriving mode rather yeah. than, you know, simply surviving b- despite, you know, what colonialism has, yeah. has, how it has impacted us.
1: But I think also too, as a storyteller, my path plays a big role in what I do because I'm able to, empathize and relate to so many of the stories and so many of the people like even for instance like when I was 24 years old my youngest was a year and a bit old maybe um I had my children taken from me because I was going through a really rough time I was depressed and I went through a party period because that party period for me was my way of expressing and numbing the, the toxicity and the, you know, the, pre- the depression that I was feeling, but I got my kids taken away from me for a year and it was absolutely devastating. And I, glad I also had my family there to step in and to help and to take them because, you know, that cycle could have been repeated that I lived through. Um, and so I was able to get them back and, you know, I, I love them. I'm so proud of them now, but these struggles and a lot of these lived experiences um, just helps me uh, to be able to also be a great uh, storyteller, to be a great um, connector to our people who are often struggling with lots of these things. Right. So when I, when I look at it that way, I think, well, you know, it, it actually is an asset to have come through a lot of those things so that, Um, you know, so that I can do what I'm doing meaningfully today.
0: That's so, I admire that so much and respect that about you because yeah, you, you turned your, your challenges in your young, younger life, uh, into opportunities to empathize and, and uplift others by helping them find their voices in the stories that you're telling. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just, and I look at, I've looked at your, I love following your, your journalist journey. Um, I love hearing all these stories that you're sharing and they're so important and the world needs to hear more about it, you know, because right now there's just not enough awareness and education about what indigenous people encounter. You know, we're not just talking about, you know, what has happened. We're, we're living, what is still happening. And I look at the, the very, um, the you have a very rich portfolio and I mean you're you're also talking about the beautiful things that are happening in our communities um there was a story you did on uh Cree grandmother who was working with um some offenders can you can you tell me about that because that really um intrigues me
1: so this was a couple of years ago now I think two or three years ago um I don't remember uh the elder's name off the top of my head uh, the woman that I worked with, but she is a Cree elder, uh, from Treaty 6. And she worked at the Bowden prison with the indigenous prisoners there. And, um, I was just looking, uh, at their, uh, program that they, uh, do f- with their indigenous prisoners, just how to use, um, culture to help rehabilitate them and reconnect them. And so, um, she was a character uh, that I featured from her perspective as to some of the ways that they work with them um, to uh, have compassion uh, on them and to just really look at where they've come from to help um, guide to where they, you know, how they can heal. And um, it was a very like powerful experience. Cause I got to go right into the the jail and it took about six to eight months to get all the okays to go in because we took a camera in there and everything for CBC. It was when I was at CBC indigenous. Um, But uh, you know, I I went into a couple of the offenders uh, cells that I was interviewing and, at the time, I didn't really extensively know their backgrounds as, or as to what they were in there doing, like in there for. Um, I didn't find out till after, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't know it all right then because I probably would have been really scared to be there, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. with them. But I was safe, I was protected, and um, hopefully was able to portray their experiences, um, you know, to the world and to help uh, show the the need for... Um, reconciliation and healing within the prison, you know, system. So that was, uh, that was pretty awesome. And we did that as part of a truth and reconciliation uh, series that CBC had worked on.
0: Wow. And so, um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, when you, we take for, I think the general public, you know, sometimes we take for granted, oh, here's another news story, but we don't often really think deeply about what it took to get that story, um, you know, from the physical environments you journalists, you know, put yourselves in and then the relationship building and, and then putting it together and and then telling a story in a very, telling it with integrity at the Mm. same time. And that's what I just love about you, Brandy. I love because (laughs) your stories are true and you are shedding light on the truths for others. And Um, that's amazing
1: wow thank you so much I that's encouraging to hear because um lately I've been dealing with a lot of backlash and hate over uh, my work and it's I don't know what it is I don't know if it's because the world itself is just in such a state of upheaval and um you know the racism crisis is at the top of every conversation and the, um, rallies and the protests, right. So plus the pandemic, everything's so heightened right now, but the past like few months, uh, doing my work has been the most intense that I've ever experienced in the last, like in 10 years. And, um, just a lot of like haters and a lot of opposition and, you know, things like that. So I, I'm encouraged, um, to hear that because that's what I strive for. I strive to be authentic. I strive to, um, humanize the stories, you know, of our people. And it's, a, it's about reconciliation as well, because the media and our communities are also broken, similar to like the relationships like similar to Canada and indigenous nations, um, and how those relationships are broken. Um, like I was saying before, media coverage often misses the mark of reporting the stories of our people. And uh, a lot of our people hold a lot of mistrust towards, you know, the media. And so it is about going in there and building relationships and building trust. And it does help to do this when you're Indigenous, because then, you know, you're just, you're automatically you know, you're automatically welcomed and accepted. But at the same time, I have worked hard to build up my, uh, my name and my work uh, and built hard to, you know, create many relationships where uh, our people uh, trust me to be truthful and authentic um, in bringing our stories to Canada and to the world. Well, I just want to say to those
0: haters, (laughs) you know, um, Brandy is not going anywhere and Brandy is, you know, she's, she's a warrior. You're a warrior woman, Brandy. And yes, anytime that we, um, anytime the truth is being told, it is going to create discomfort, it is going to create sometimes pain. um, And it's going to bring to light even more, more things that are happening. And and you're a truth, truth teller. So Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, you have my support. And I know there's so many others out there who support the work you're doing, we've got your back. And um, it's like that muscle, you know, and you've got that that uh, kink in your back and, you know, you don't want to touch it because it's going to, you're going to feel the pain, but you just got to keep working away at it, working away at it. And eventually, you know, you can work through it where it starts to loosen up a bit. And that's, that's society right now. <laughs> wow. You know, there's a lot of kinks out there and and you and the others who are truth tellers, are working away at it and i applaud you the work you do in the field you're in because it's not easy work and it often sometimes may feel thankless at times and and then you you become subjected to the violence of others even in their words how they may express you know their disdain for what you're saying or even hatred but Keep on going, and and you you have it in you to do this work. I also don't think just anyone can do this work. Um, we all have our gifts and our our purpose in this world, and and you are certainly um, a gifted storyteller and truth teller, and and you have that warrior woman spirit with you, and that's why you're able to do what you do. And and um, amazing. I'm proud of you. You did, know.
1: Did you know that I um actually got a tattoo last week that is increase syllabics. That stands for warrior because, uh-huh. <laughs> well, because I, I just, it's been a struggle lately um, through different things happening in my career, different things coming at me. And, and um, I needed a reminder to ground me. And that reminder is yes, I, I am a warrior in this. And to me, that just means somebody um, of strength, somebody of, truth and somebody that's blessed by creator to do this and it's a reminder for me. So for you saying that is just um you know it, it lines up with with this. So that's awesome. <laughs>
0: mm, wow. I um did you post that on your social media? Cause I don't think I caught that. I would I, I probably would have maybe I missed it. Okay. <laughs> I gotta check it out. Um no, and I that's good. amazing. <laughs> um I guess it takes me to I'm curious, how do you take care of yourself? Right. Because as you're taking as you're taking care of others by telling these um, stories,
1: how do you take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. What do you do for wellness? Yeah. So that's been a discussion I've been having a lot lately with some of my colleagues. I know a lot of other journalists are feeling the fatigue of reporting lately because of the stressful times that we're living in, right? I think people in general are. Um, so I've been, you know, trying to create that balance of self-care because um, usually I do pretty good at it, but I've been working a lot lately. So I think since the George Floyd protest, like since George Floyd was murdered in Minnesota since June, the beginning of June, or I think that was the end of May, I'm not exactly sure, I've been I felt like I've been working 24-7. So I've been on the road and I've been working. So I was on multiple national TV, like panels and commentaries and writing octets, plus doing my stories and on the road. And it these stories were intense, trauma-based stories. Um, so it started to take its toll more than ever. And I was having trouble sleeping. I was actually experiencing nightmares at night uh, when I was in Wet'suwet'en territory in July in my hotel for like two or three nights in a row. I was shooting up straight out of bed with the horrific nightmares because of the situations that I was witnessing there. And um, I had to actually, you know, get some sleeping pills to help, like, to help me sleep. That's the kind mm-hmm. of toll that, 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 that it was starting to take. And so I was really on a You know, I was searching for how to um, maintain our mental, spiritual, emotional, physical health through this. And so I was talking, you know, to some other friends and colleagues of mine and, um, you know, looking at those different ways. And some of the obvious ones are by, you know, exercising. (laughs) And I've been slacking at that. Because when I was so busy and then you're, you're drained emotionally and, and mentally from doing these stories, you uh-huh. feel like you don't have the energy or the time, but, uh-huh. um, but that's not, that's not an excuse because exercise works in the opposite way where it actually releases endorphins to help you to feel better and doing that physical activity will give you more energy. So I'm on a mission to get that back into gear because since June, I've really slacked on it because I've been on the road a lot and I have noticed the difference in the energy levels and in so many different things. So that is an area that is really, really important. Also the way we eat, the way that we eat is medicine. Um, Uh Again, I was on a really great, healthy eating um, plan Uh, You know, not a diet, but just wholesome, healthy, you know, organic, life-giving. And then when I ran on the road, it all went to crap, (laughs) you know? And again, I'm noticing the effects because that's going to affect you, your mind, when you eat that sugar and you eat that junk and you're grabbing processed food that affects your mind. It, it affects the clarity of mind. It clouds your mind as well as helping you to feel sluggish in your body, let alone making you (laughs) chubbler. So, um, I know that I, that that I have. That's another thing that I have to get into alignment, and then also mm-hmm. um, journaling. I think journaling and gratitude, um, because when you do gratitude, it helps to um, focus what you're grateful for instead of always be you know bombarded by you know the negativities. That has made a huge uh, difference for me. And prayer, um, for me, I connect best to Creator to God when I'm out in nature. So Mm -hmm. I try to like, now it's the summer months. I try to be out like by the river or somewhere where I physically see and sense and touch and feel and breathe in, um, creation. And that's where I feel like I, it helps me to rejuvenate and restore and, you know, talk to God and, um, just another good, um, self-care is just, uh, tuning out of social media <laughs> and that's another mm-hmm. area I struggle at because it's addicting and then you feel responsible <laughs> and it's like, but I have to put my foot down with myself because it's unhealthy when <laughs> it's too much. So, um, yeah, next week I'm taking a week off and I'm trying to log out of most of my social media. It's going to be a test, but it's almost like a cleanse. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? A cleanse and a resetting because we need it. We're human. We can't take all of that in because that's all ener- different energies that we're taking in from the technology and from all the crap that's on there, right? So it's, you know, we we have to find that healthy balance.
0: Wow. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's unplugging and disconnecting to reconnect with ourselves. You know, yes. you, you couldn't have put it a better way, you know, with how, how, you know, the, and recognizing that, I think that's some really amazing self insight because sometimes we just, you know, and the way the world is and, and life, you know, we get so busy and occupied with everything else that we get stuck in these patterns. And then until yeah. something happens or, you know, something comes across our pathway that, Says, wait a minute, let's just stop for a minute. And what are we doing? And why are we doing this? No,
1: okay look at that's what COVID did. I think COVID did that to many of us with being, the yes. world stopping and being stuck at home and, um, you know, being in isolation and all this stuff. And I, at first, it was a really scary experience for me. But then, a, you know, a few weeks into it, I actually, you know, took the opportunity to, um, go on a health journey and, um, It was so healing and it was like, just, it was such a good thing. But then when, when real life started to come back, then, you know, I didn't keep it up. And do I ever notice the difference? So what you're saying about, yeah, we need to stop. We need to get our priorities in gear and stick to them because I don't think that we can do this type of work sustainably if we're not keeping those kind of balances.
0: That's beautifully put. Um and hopefully there are other um aspiring journalists or just journalists out there who, you know, even if they're well on their way in their career like yourself, are listening to this and, you know, having that little reminder there to you know, while it's so important the work you're doing, it's also important that you take care of yourself so you can continue to do the work you're doing. And yeah, connecting with nature, um, the food we put in ourselves, getting the sleep. Um, yes, I, I can relate with you on that. I'm on on my healing journey too, and working on those things. And for me, it's been sleep. That seems mm. like a you know I got into a pretty pretty unhealthy cycle from university and then it led on into teaching you know just overworking and not getting enough sleep and then going again and you know it catches up to you so yes yeah it's, it's good to hear this um these affirmations of how we can take care of ourselves and you know they are really smaller decisions that we make every day that lead up to bigger changes in our life i believe
1: oh absolutely like just huge impacts huge it's uh-huh. a huge difference and um this is making me uh just it's just reiterating to myself that i got to walk my talk again <laughs> i'm with you <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: Oh, um, okay. So I I wanted to ask you about where things are at with the, um, like you did some story cover, coverage. Um, you're most recently publishing with Al Jazeera. Is that right?
1: Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I work freelance, so I work with a number of different outlets. Um, my, real, my most recent one was with the National Observer. I have another one coming out with Al Jazeera. Like I, I often juggle with multiple like assignments at once. So I actually had the opportunity to work for El Canada recently. So I've written um two yes. Yeah, I've written two um uh stories for them. Well one was an opt-ed. Actually they were both opt-eds. And that was really awesome because, of course, like as a young teenager, I had L. You know, I would rip out the pages of the yeah. magazines and put them to my wall. Come on, and so
0: smell I, the perfumes.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like that was like really awesome to me, and just the fact that they are interested in our stories and want to publish mm-hmm. them. And um, you know, I've been doing a lot of work for the Toronto Star. Those have been opt that have. You know been run nationally and um even half post canada and um
0: new york know. times Yes, yeah vice canada
1: yes there's a there's a you know i've i'm really blessed to have these uh these opportunities but i'm most proud that our stories are getting international attention through al jazeera and i want to start focusing on getting our stories um out to an international audience more because i think that um if If the rest of the world really understands or knows what 's going on here and a lot of the human rights violations that are happening um mm-hmm. and the inequities within uh, indigenous uh nations here that I think um the the world would be outraged and maybe the world would help hold to account Canada because Canada portrays itself to the world as this you know democratic peaceful um you know liberal country yes it's oppressing indigenous peoples at the same time and Mm -hmm. not not very many people outside of canada are aware of this so you know i just hope to get our voices out there but not just you know the inequities but share the beauty about who we are Mm -hmm. as people, share our cultures, share the things that we're fighting for on our land, share the beauty of our lands and our waters, Um, you know, share about our next generation, share about the stories of our elders and our languages. There is so much there, you know, waiting to be uh, shared uh, with the world that could help be so enriching, you know, to the world. Like, even like, a story idea such as like, I have one for Elle coming up. Nobody scoop me. <laughs> no, but I have. A <laughs> like, what about, um, and I want to feature different Indigenous women that um, care for their land, but put it in the perspective of what Indigenous women can teach you how to care for the earth or how to care for the land and bring out um, the, that other, you know, the other cultures of the world to show and share what we have, what we can offer, you know, um, and just create those conversations and help open, you know, those doors. So there's just so much opportunity. Things may be heavy, um, and things may be really toxic and even like scary to work in sometimes, but there's also like so much good there. So much inspiration, um, you know, and exciting news and stories that, um, that are just there waiting.
0: I just, I think this is, this is definitely a dream job. I mean, (laughs) you're traveling, you're connecting with so many people of different walks of life and, and you're sharing their stories and you're learning lots about the communities that you're connecting with. And then you're putting it out there to the world. And it's, it's, it's very important work that you're doing. I mean, Mm. wow. Being a journalist is amazing and yeah, it is no, it is not a job for just anyone and there's so much involved and the behind the scenes that you guys do and what you go through. Um, like I said, yeah, it's it's very incredible work that you do, and um, I do appreciate that. Yes, that you are also um, helping to break those stereotypes, uh, the marginalizations of our people by telling those stories, also of the beauty in our communities, and and we need to see more of that too. I mean, traditionally, media has only really ever focused on you know, what's happening in Indigenous communities in a negative light and also from their perspective versus Indigenous perspectives. And that's why your work is even more important, because you are that Indigenous voice providing that Indigenous insight into these stories. And that is a piece that's still missing very much in media.
1: Exactly. And a lot of the times media just gets it wrong. And um, yes. but then at the same time we're told by that mainstream media that we're biased because we're indigenous journalists and they're telling an indigenous story. Well that like that that'd be like, Well, if you're white, don't tell go tell any white stories then. And and we're telling these from the indigenous perspective. Because they've never been told from the Indigenous perspective. It's always from that other perspective. And um, you have to be able to uh, help inform and shift that narrative, you know, uh, for, for people to be able to understand, you know, what's going on. It's so, so
0: important. And I think that's what's making a lot of people in society uncomfortable is because for the very first time our truths are being told and not just being told, but they can no longer be ignored, you know, the history and then the ongoing uh, violence and um, mistreatment that Indigenous people face, you know, in Canada as specifically, and of course on the other side of the border. Um, And so, okay. So I wanted to ask you about the, there's a story. Well, I've been being an Indigenous woman, Blackfoot woman, myself you know, missing and murdered Indigenous women pertain is something that, you know, I'm deeply connected to in how our women are treated and what happens to us. So any sort of stories that come out about that, I'm always, you know, I always want to follow it. Um, mm-hmm. And more specifically, these pipeline, you did a story with Al Jazeera in May, pipelines, man camps, and murdered Indigenous women in Canada. Can you, mm-hmm. um, I'd love to, more of your perspective on that what's going on there
1: yeah so um gosh i've been writing about this subject for a few years now i originally did an in-depth kind of investigative piece with national observer about three years ago um linking uh you know pipeline man camps uh to violence against indigenous women and girls but it was based from a report that was released by some uh, First Nations in Northern BC. And um, you know, this report they commissioned when the CGL pipeline was, you know, coming in. And um so I've always been following that. Um and last year the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, the final report that was released, it um it cited um, you know, the connections between Um, you know, resource extraction industry and violence against women um, and girls and how, um, you know, the two go hand in hand. So the impacts to the land translate to impacts to the women. And, um, you know, there was recommendations uh, for governments, institutions, industries to, um, you know, take steps to, Um, try to uh, reconcile what was going on. Um, As we know, the Canadian government has yet to uh, implement the calls to action, Um, even though Justin Trudeau promised uh, at the release of the final report, uh, he gave his word that his government would do everything in their power to take action, to invest in uh, as soon as they could. But it's been put off. Um, So... uh, in may was that did it come out in may that uh, that yes yeah. yeah so i had written that for al Jazeera because they they had been following my work on that particular subject so i just did you know a further in in depth look uh from people in the communities that were you know impacted so i featured april eve who was um sexually exploited, uh, and, um, you know, sent to the, uh, Fort Mac area to service, um, men working in the oil and, and gas industry. She experienced several violent, life-threatening, you know, encounters and, um, just give her testimony as to what that was like and what she's seen and the correlations between, uh, industry and, um, you know, again, abusing and using women. Because a lot of times these uh, camps will be overridden with uh, men that are struggling with addictions and making a whole lot of money. And they are looking to let off steam. And it comes out in a violent way. And they often don't have any connections to the communities that they're going to. So they're going into remote communities or fly-in and fly-out communities that are often situated, you know, close to Indigenous communities. And um, they don't have a connection or care about that land. They're, they're into going and make their money and get out. So while they're there and if they have, you know, other things that they're, you know, doing, such as, you know, drinking or drugs or anything like that, um, any sort of behaviors that, you know, come out in that are, t- you know, taken out on the locals and particularly vulnerable people, the indigenous women. So um, that was just really, really important to uh, to raise awareness about in these stories because um, our governments often have industrial projects as their you know top top priority because it correlates mm-hmm. to you know economic gain and money in people's pockets but they often don't consider these other impacts that are devastating vulnerable communities and um, we have a crisis a genocidal crisis in Canada with missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and no resources or investments are being put behind um stopping it. And um, you know, so I think uh, you know, it's important to follow these different um I guess uh what they we called um these different areas that are contributing, you know, to uh to this ongoing genocide. So my work in Witsutan territories um coming up and uh what's gonna be published yet also has to do with um, looking more deeply into that and how the people there are affected by uh, industry because um, that area is along the Highway of Tears. So it's Mm -hmm. an area where, um, you know, over 50 women have uh, disappeared or have been murdered um, over just over 50 years. And um, again, it's correlated to industrial activity, Um, there. And so I just really want to dig deeper, um, you know, into that.
0: Mm, Wow. Yeah, this is, you know, this is so important. And for any, anybody out there who's listening and who is not part of Indigenous communities, this is another way to truly um, be part of reconciliation by becoming aware of these issues and understanding what's happening and most importantly um listening to the indigenous voices that are telling these stories and and brandy you are you are one of these very important people in our communities and um i know that you know going into these communities you're also um coming into spaces that have encountered trauma Mm. and you're sitting with individuals who have encountered trauma and um i know you have such a big heart and a strong spirit and um it's, it's so wonderful that we have this ability to be able to, um, share the information, you know, that is, these are the ways that it's in these ways that I really appreciate technology because it allows us to, you know, elevate our voices and to share them out into the world. And, um, I think that's really important. Um, indigenous journalism, such an important and a very, very essential part of, of, providing insight into the world about our communities do you find um do you find are there are you seeing a lot of more indigenous journalists come up as well um is there a community that you know is being built and for you guys to
1: reach out to each other yeah i've seen um a lot of growth over the last 10 years and um it's quite encouraging. We're still just a small group of people. We need more of us. Um, but we are growing. We have a, uh, just a few that are, you know, what we would call like seasoned. Um, and then a lot of, uh, up and comers. Um, I'm actually having the opportunity to mentor some of them and it's just, wow. yeah, it's just beautiful. It's exciting. They, they're just like so on fire and passionate. And a lot of them are young women. It's like, yeah like <laughs> it's you know and um you know we're pretty supportive of each other and across the board like with different even if you know summer with CBC summer with other you know CTV summer with uh other mainstream outlets or freelance and we do uh gravitate towards each other and we do find each other and um we uh i recently took part in actually last night angela sterrett who is a, mm-hmm. um, a beautiful good journal journalist uh out of uh, vancouver she works for cbc so she started this like all female indigenous Zoom group. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 so we had our first <laughs> one last night and it was like amazing. It was just chill and it was like we were a sounding board for each other. We were like a support group. We were just joking around and it but lasted <laughs> for three and a half hours. And like, oh my God. It was just awesome. <laughs> and so we're going to do it again. And we have my former boss, Karen Pouillez on it from APTN. And um, it's just, it's a much needed place for us to be because we're all craving that support, um, you know, that only we can provide to each other. So I'm so grateful for that.
0: Oh, wow. That's, oh, I'm so happy for you. And mm-hmm. yes, our, our women, we really, um, we especially thrive and, you know, glow when we are connected to each other and having that sense of community, even though physically right now, we, you know, we're not, we're not able to really sit together because of this COVID, but I'm so happy to hear you, you have that community. And um, I think that's amazing. And and whoever you're mentoring is just so blessed because they're (laughs) going to learn some really, really, not just, um, skills that pertain to this career of journalism but some true life skills Mm. you know brandy you are a walking toolbox of many life skills that can support and help anybody in their life you know i'm i'm learning as i'm listening to you right now and i uh I, I was just thinking about our our first interaction when you had interviewed uh, my myself and mm-hmm. my niece. We were actually, I just picked her up from school that day and um, I had her for the afternoon and we usually have our auntie days and that was one of our auntie days and You know, she was excited for the interview and Mm. we had you on my, uh, my Bluetooth in the car and she was just, you know, and after the interview, she's like, well, how did I sound, auntie? Did it sound okay? And she really enjoyed talking to you. She's a
1: pro. Like, you guys were pro. You knew what you were doing. Well, it's, you're a teacher, right? So... You're a good communicator. No, that that was so and then we just kept in touch through, you know, social media follow each other's journeys and stuff like that. So that's Well,
0: you you have a gift of creating space for people to feel safe and and share their stories. And and yeah, I remember my niece, you know, she said, Wow, she was I really like talking to Brandy. She made me feel comfortable and and I just told her, you know, just just speak from the heart, you know, um, and Brandon's going to tell, tell our story. And, you know, I know she's going to help us get the word out there about this, uh, truth and reconciliation project. And, you know, I want to thank you. I Mm. want to thank you again for telling such a beautiful, uh, shedding light on what we're doing at the school level with, with other kids and, you know, in Calgary and, Thank you for doing that. And I'm so happy, like you said, you know, we've remained in touch and I love following your journey and I can't wait to see where else your journey Mm -hmm. takes you. And I'll always keep you in my prayers that you're safe and that, you know, you, as you continue to do this work, that you feel lifted up by our communities.
1: Oh my gosh. This is, wow. I'm so grateful just wow I'm so grateful for you and everything that you're doing and I just like also I'm so excited about your podcast and your vision I mean I think that it's gonna explode (laughs) and uh, I'm just honored I'm honored that I get to be a guest
0: wow I feel uplifted by your words too and um thank you for telling these stories Mm and um also talking today and opening yourself up with your wisdom. And I know that everyone who's listening is going to, you know, walk away reflecting on their everyday choices and how they can support the work you do. You know, it's, it's one thing when we hear information and we gather knowledge, but then to actually then the next step is to apply it and put it into our everyday lives. And so while you're doing the heavy lifting of, you know, going in there, investigating, sharing and telling, reporting these stories, it's also um, our responsibility as society members who who grasp that knowledge to be able to then apply into our everyday lives so we can in turn support the work you do by helping to change things.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right, my dear. Um, I want to get us into the final four here because um, I'm excited to ask you these questions. Um, they're questions that I don't really, I, I have ideas of what I'm going to ask you. It's just a fun thing that I do with the guests at the end. I don't tell you what what I'm going to ask you. And I actually formulate them as I'm talking to you because mm-hmm. there's things that jump out to me. So I came up with some great four, final four questions for you. Um, and you can just just answer them yeah. however you want. Are you yeah, ready?
1: Sounds
0: good. <laughs> All right. Where do you see the role of media in the next, let's say five or 10 years?
1: Like mainstream media or?
0: Yes. Um, well, I guess let's say indigenous media because, uh, you're, you're part of that <laughs> yeah. community.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I think that, um, we're in a place of decolonizing the media. So we are creating something that is going to be, um, a new narrative of how we share our lives and experiences and our news with the world. And, um, that's a journey that we're out discovering and creating right now. And so, Um, it's kind of like, um, grassroots that way and indigenous that way. (laughs) So I think that it will be obviously incorporating a lot of the technologies that we have, you know, that such as, you know, social media and like multimedia, you know, we have, um, through, you know, video and print and podcasting, you know, um, I think that we really will utilize, um, a lot of the, you know, those, um, resources in in different ways. And um I'm just excited to um see, you know, how that unfolds because we just have such a um like we're in just such a time in, in our world where it's it's so uh open for us, you know, to communicate, you know, with each other. So it's it's pretty awesome. Mm,
0: wow. I love that and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm so glad there's people like you out there, um, you know, helping to set that foundation. Cause yeah, it's a new era and times are changing and yes. Love mm-hmm. it. Okay. Um, please finish the sentence. Um, indigenous women are.
1: Oh, wow. Indigenous women are. Gosh, how do I even put it into a sentence? we are meant to be where we are right now. We are Mm. rising. We are speaking. We are standing for our truths. We're standing for our ancestors, our children, our future generations. We, um, we are women that believe that anything through prayer and resilience and community is possible. We are survivors. We are endurers. <laughs> and um We are wise, we're strong, and we're beautiful.
0: <laughs> wow, oh, that's. I got goosebumps. That's amazing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, Wow. Yes. Um, What would you tell aspiring journalists or those, those new to the career of journalism?
1: Yeah, I would just tell them to um, go for it and to work from the heart. It sounds cliche, but it is key. We're not robots. Traditionally, like traditionally, society has taught journalists that they have to be so removed from the stories that they're telling. And not be impacted by them. But I've found the opposite. I'm involved. And I care. And I'm human. And it's okay. It's okay to be passionate about what you're doing and just be authentic and when you're authentic people will sense that and um, they'll want to be authentic with you mm,
0: wow <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're <laughs> full of so many gems brandy and I, I'm just oh it just makes me happy because other people are going to hear this and you know that's that's my hope for these these podcast episodes with the guests that yes. I get to sit with, um, you get to share, you know, your parts of yourself and help others and inspire others. And that's amazing. Mm. That's such wonderful. And I think that it can apply to anybody, journalism yes. or any sort of field. So thank you for sharing those wise yes. words. Um, Yeah. Okay. Final question of the final four. I just have to know, is Brandy a coffee or tea drinker or which one is it? Oh
1: my gosh. It depends. Okay, Maybe I've switched to coffee, but for three months before it was tea. <laughs> but I got to get off my coffee binge. Because uh, I tend to go overboard. So uh, so I need to get back on the tea because it's more healthy and um, it's just, it's more like cleansing. And uh, the coffee is just kind of like hardcore. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) like, you know, it's like I'm deep in the trenches, get me another cup, you know? So yeah, for this month, coffee, but, It'll change next month. I'll go back. I love
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's been so wonderful just sitting with you. And yeah. um, I'm just, I'm glowing here from everything we've talked about and what you've shared. And by the way, I I want to say... Um, Congratulations on receiving the Human Rights Reporting Award from the Canadian Association of Journalists last year for your work with CBC's Beyond 94 project. And people, you need to Google that. (laughs) The Beyond 94 project yeah congratulations Brandy and um and everything else you're doing there's so much to celebrate in in all that you have um discovered and shared with the world and and with your own beautiful journey in life and with being a such an incredible beautiful mother and woman um you you uplift us as mm-hmm. well you you know as much as the community stands behind you, you're also uplifting us and our peoples and honoring our histories and and all that is to come and look forward to as we continue to thrive as indigenous peoples in this world.
1: I am just so thankful, I'm so honored, I'm privileged and blessed to do what I do, and I just just uh, happy to do it. Thank you so much, and uh, I'll be following your uh, your work as you go, and let's keep in touch.
0: Absolutely. Wow. Okay, well, virtual hugs here. Yay. And um <laughs> I'll tell you in Blackfoot until we meet again. Um matsen.
1: That's beautiful. Yay. Yay!
0: <laughs> Isn't it amazing how people like Brandy Moran are out there? changing lives simply in telling the stories of others, uncovering injustices, creating a voice, awareness, being wonderful advocates and warriors out there, shedding light on the important issues in our Indigenous communities. And I feel so honored to have sat with her and shared this very deep, enlightening, insightful, and very important conversation. And I'm so happy you all got to be part of it as well. And I know that you will walk away from this conversation today and you will think about the issues that you may be encountering or that you recognize in your communities or the things that you're reading about and hearing about from indigenous journalists around the world, because their voices are authentic and they are bringing the true awareness of what is happening in our Indigenous communities. I know that I'm going to continue to dig deeper myself as an Indigenous woman and community member and educator and continue on learning about these things and not only learning about them, but applying what it is I learned because that is how we create change in the world. Wow, such a beautiful person Brandy Morin is. As you will want to continue to follow her on her amazing and wonderful journey as a human rights journalist, I will provide all the links on our Buzzsprout page as well as our Instagram and our other f- pages that you can access. Stay strong, stay informed, and stay connected. Have a beautiful and blessed day. God Goddakia Mutsen.